the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Trinity Sunday to you all. This is one of our principal feast days, right up there with Christmas and Easter. And it's always the second or the first Sunday after Pentecost. But it's kind of an odd feast day in the life of our church because we're not celebrating a person such as Jesus, Mary, or one of the saints. And we're not celebrating an event in the life of the church like Pentecost. It said today we celebrate a doctrine, a teaching, and a way of understanding who God is and how God works that is so complicated that the rector usually assigns this task of preaching the Trinity Sunday sermon to the associate rector, or even better yet, to the seminarian. But since neither are here today, the task falls to me. So here we go. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Now that's not a bad place to start a sermon on Trinity Sunday. That little phrase from today's gospel seems to me an authentic and an accurate description of what often happens when we approach this God, whom the church tells us is one God in three persons. Worship and doubt stand side by side. The Bible version we use each Sunday translates this Greek as some doubted, but a more literal translation says they doubted. It wasn't just some that doubted. They all doubted, even as they all worshiped. But regardless, the point is worship and doubt are not mutually exclusive. Because that they doubted does not mean that they did not have faith or that they did not believe. Instead, they gave their hearts to Jesus, but in their heads, they couldn't really make sense or understand what it was that was happening. Their hearts and their heads were not aligned. Their experience made sense, but the logic and understanding was un unable to match the depth and the reality of what they were witnessing. I wonder who among us hasn't had that kind of experience at some point in our lives. Try to define love or explain to your friend or a spouse why you love him or her. Make a list. Count the ways. You're pretty, handsome, smart, funny. We have a lot in common. You're a good cook, a good provider. You make me happy. After a while, that list begins to sound shallow and superficial because you know at a deep level that this list doesn't even begin to reflect or adequately describe your love. How can words ever describe or capture the beauty and the mystery of two lives shared as one? 
Can words ever fully describe and explain giving ourselves to another so completely that we live within the other and they within us? Neither one losing themselves, but each one finding their true and complete self. I doubt it. Words fail. Some things like love can be experienced, but they can never be fully understood or explained or defined. Recall a time when you were entranced and enlivened by the beauty of a sunset. Warmth enveloped your skin. You felt this presence that hadn't been there before. Clouds became a kaleidoscope of changing colors. How do you explain that? Is it just light rays reflected by dust in the air and affected by the angle of the sun in relationship to you? I doubt it. Surely that kaleidoscope of color is more than just a visible mass of condensed water vapor floating in the atmosphere. Was that envelope of presence that warmed you nothing more than photons hitting your skin? I doubt that too. Some things, like beauty, can be experienced, but they can never be fully or adequately expressed with words. Have you ever held in your hands the wonder and the mystery of a newborn child? Remember those tiny wrinkled fingers, those specks for fingernails, the hiccups, the soft skin? How do you explain that? What words can describe that moment? Sure, we know the biology and the physiology of reproduction, but we still can't really wrap our heads around it. Is that child simply the end result of some biological process? Is that how you describe that moment? I seriously doubt that. In that new life, we see and we declare a miracle. Those are just three examples of experiences that are bigger, more beautiful, and beyond what our minds can fathom or make sense of. We love and we doubt. We bask in beauty and we doubt. We hold new life in our hands and we doubt. But in those contexts, doubt is not some deficiency. It's a declaration that we have glimpsed the divine and touched the transcendent. It's our recognition that the experience is greater than our words could ever express, or that our minds could grasp. And in the end, it's that experience that we most want. It changes and transforms our lives in ways words, explanations, and concepts never will. And if that is true about relationships, sunsets, and babies, love, beauty, and new life, how could it not also be true about God? We worship and we doubt. We experience the really real, but we can't make sense of it. And despite this Trinitarian math of three equals one, 
and one equals three, God is simply beyond words, explanation, or understanding. Gregory of Nazianus, a bishop in the fourth century, said this, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I, am, than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I'm carried back to the one. If the Trinity is about anything, it is about love, beauty, and new life. We may not be able to explain this, but we know it when we experience it. The how of it might be beyond all of our understanding, but that doesn't stop us from seeking it. The triune God is ever calling and asking us to take our place among the three. And nowhere is that better portrayed than in Andrei Rublev's icon of the Holy Trinity. I venture to say that you probably have seen this at some point in your lives. It's based on the story of three men who visit Abraham. And for nearly 700 years, Rublev's icon has been the church's attempt to express what cannot be spoken and portray what cannot be seen. And in this icon, there are three angelic beings sitting around a table or is it an altar? Three persons, distinct but not separate. They look just alike, though dressed in different colored robes. They share the same expression. Their bodies and postures are alike and form this circle of unity and oneness. Three persons, one life, one love, one beauty. But the Trinity is not just about God and the three persons. It's also about us. Because in this icon, right at the forefront of this table is an empty space. Who might that be for, you ask? It's for us. It's for you and me. As we are invited to live our lives with and in the life of God. For it is in God that we live and we move and we have our being. It's a picture of God with us, Emmanuel. And that is the promise Jesus makes in today's gospel. I am with you always. God before us, God behind us, God above us, God beneath us, God within us and we within God. I am with you always. This Trinitarian life of God is to us what water is to a fish. It's our natural environment and we are already in it. Searching for and seeking God as if God were absent or distant or apart from us somewhere it's like a fish asking, where is the ocean? And maybe that's why Jesus begins his promise of his presence with, and remember. And remember 
I am with you always. Remember what already is. So what if we left here today not just remembering the words of Jesus' promise, but opening ourselves to the experience of that promise? How might that experience change our lives? What might God do that would cause you, in wonder and in awe, to doubt? Because regardless of who you are, what you may have done or left undone, what has happened in your life, where you go, what you encounter, this promise holds true. God's presence is real. It's not some promise to be realized in the future, sometime far away from now. It's a promise that already has been and continues to be fulfilled. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thanks be to God.